Welcome to another episode of Learning with Bell Vista Studios. I'm super excited today to have Brendan Jarvis with us. Brendan Jarvis is the managing founder of The Space In Between. So it's New Zealand's only world-class UX lab. And they do testing and design and create products with their real users, testing and giving them insights. So at Bell Vista Studios, it is super inspiring for us because we love human-centered design. We love putting our users at the heart of our process and that is what Brendan does. So it's really epic to have you on this episode, Brendan. What we'd love to learn about in this episode is user interviews. Um, so it's something we do in our team, but I know that you would have a lot more insight, Brendan, into <laughs> running them. So I'm really, really excited to learn from you. So thanks for being here. It's great to be here, Hannah. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, we're about to find out whether or not that's true, but uh, we'll go with that for now. Oh, you're epic. You've already been on the show and it was so good. You've already proven yourself. <laughs> so my first question is, I would love to know from your perspective why user interviews are important. Why are user interviews important? They're really important for understanding your users. And I know that sounds obvious, but it's quite often, and it still happens, that solutions to perceived problems get made without any real understanding of who the users are and whether or not the problem you're trying to solve is a real one. So early on in the design process, a user interview is really helpful for understanding how the user sees the world or the particular problem space that you're looking to solve and for confirming what your initial hypothesis or um, idea might be as to how, um, how that looks for them. And there's really only one way of, of doing that and, and not to, to guess, and that's actually to sit down with users and have a conversation. Awesome, love it. Well, you answered my next question because I was wondering <laughs> age of the project you would suggest to do user interviews and it sounds like at the very beginning is the best time to do it it's certainly yeah it's certainly one important time to do it uh, a lot of the times we're also as part of our usability tests um, running interviews as um, as a technique uh, throughout the usability test and at the end just to uh, better understand some of the things that we saw. So it's not um, not only at the beginning of a design project that can be worked into something like a usability test if you're talking about a digital product. And um, that's really just, as I said, just to really understand the reasons why you might have seen friction in the solution that you presented. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are generally two areas that we use them for anyway. One is when we're trying to understand the problem and in a way that we can get some insights to shape the solution better and then once we have the solution to actually understand uh, how that performs and why there might be issues that we observe in any usability test that we run yeah love it it just makes so much sense like when you think about it we're designing products for these people for our users and i think if you don't consider them or understand their context or how what's going to work for them like you just it's going to be very difficult to create something that works for them so it just yeah. makes so I think it's so great that you have that UX lab because I think it is so important to consider your user and it does have such a big impact. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time um, we would find when we were design designers ourselves and we've stopped doing actual design work, we just help other designers understand how the users um, 
feel and experience the work that they're creating. But we found that we would often get these personas that were marketing driven or market research driven, you know, they were very much demographic based. And I just wanted to, before we move on, just mention that running interviews are really important at the beginning of the process, particularly when you're trying to shape a, a meaningful persona for who your users actually are. And uh, it's quite different than taking that sort of top-down market research approach. You're actually spending the time with a number of users that represent the audience that you're trying to create a solution for. And then you're able to shape your persona around the things that you hear and the insights that you gather from those, from those interviews. Yeah. Another question I've just thought of. So how many people should you interview, do you think? Like, is there a percentage or a sort of formula for how many people you should interview to get accurate? Yeah of the population yeah i would say five is a minimum but really it's after you stop hearing new insights so you know that could i mean that's unlikely to happen in less than five but you know say you get to seven and then you get to eight and you're kind of just hearing the same things you've probably heard all it is that you need to know about the line of questioning that you're asking by that point so uh, there's no hard and fast i'd say anything less than five you're probably a little bit too skinny in your insights but once you get past you know um once you stop hearing new things is probably a good time just to, to consider stopping yeah okay i love that that's really cool we usually do about five as well yeah so the founder of Belvis studios kim which you know very well <laughs> um, yeah. she says five she thinks that's when you start hearing the same thing as well so yeah. oh good well she she won't tell me off next time we're chatting and that, I, that, I, that i've contradicted uh contradicted yeah. <laughs> okay so thinking so I stepped into the shoes of someone who's never held an interview before and I know I've been in that position and even now I still get nervous before interviews because I'm thinking have I prepared and have I done everything that I need to do what tips do you have to help people prepare for running interviews user interviews yeah I think the first thing which is probably sounds like I'm stating the obvious is know why it is that you're running the interview you know what are you trying to learn yeah and you probably shouldn't have more than three questions that you're trying to answer you know, okay. ide ideally what well, i mean th not three questions that you're asking but you know three main things that you're trying to learn three outcomes no more than three otherwise your interview is going to be too broad and you're going to need way too much time you won't be able to condense the conversation into the time that you'll have with the participant or the user so yeah. know know the goal is really important. Uh, you know, an example that I can think of uh, for that is, you know, what are some of the, this is hypothetical, right? But if you're speaking to fathers of newborn children, you might want to know what the challenges are for those first, first time fathers and the mm -hmm. first couple of months after the birth of a baby. So, you know, you want to be quite specific about what it is that you're trying to learn. And then you can shape your interview, your discussion guide for that interview around that. So, once you know what you're going to ask, you're going to be able to break down what we call a discussion guide. And that's going to have probably some topic areas that you want to cover. And then within each of those topic areas, you're going to have a series of questions. Okay. So you wouldn't have set questions potentially as you're going through the interview, it could change and you could yeah. be asking questions that help you meet your goal. If you can think of things where you, you think I'm not, I need to ask that to help me meet my goal, it could change. Yeah, we call it semi-structured. So we, you know, we don't go in completely um, with a blank piece of paper, but we leave some room for exploration of things that might be interesting as they come up. 
So okay. the issue of the yeah, structure is quite important. So you need some, but you don't want to be so rigid that it feels like some some sort of interrogation of <laughs> the user where you're just literally yeah, going right. down the list of questions, you know? So the preparation though is the thing that as an interviewer gives you more confidence going in. And the structure is also the thing that once uh, you take the interview across multiple users or participants, that actually when you go to analyze what you've heard, you've actually had enough um, uh, structure in there so that you are hearing answers that you can then theme and, and appropriately gain some insights from. Mm. So you do need you do need some structure. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. And I'd say also have more questions than you think you'll have time for because okay. um, the, it, it, there's nothing worse than running out of something to say and not being able to think of something interesting, especially yeah. if you're new at this or something useful to ask. So have a few more than you think you might have time for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Good advice. And how about when you start the interviews? Do you have, like, is there like a blurb or something that you say around what you say is confidential or something? Like, what do you begin with? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, you want to really think about a few things. And even before you run the interview, you really should think about the, the context and the location that you're going to have the interview in. Because a lot of, uh, a lot of re research, right, is about um, trying to get people relaxed enough with, with where they are and who you are so that you can actually get into the really interesting topics and territories that you're there to find out about. So, for example, if you work in a busy office environment, it's probably not the right thing to conduct the interview in the middle of the office floor. You know, you want to go somewhere um, that is uh, quiet and people can speak confidently and, and that you'll be able to hear them, especially if you're recording. So consider where you're going to go. Um, you also want to be warm. You know, while you might want to adopt a mindset of a detective, Mm. don't want to run it like an interrogation so you know don't forget to smile you don't have to be best friends but before you go into an interview even before you've met the participant it's, it's a good idea to sort of get your body posture right and get your mindset right and smile you know it really helps before you go into those conversations so yeah there's a bit of preparation in terms of that once you're in the interview yes there are some really important steps so if you are running research you know, you usually will have to seek consent because this yeah. is an ethical obligation that you have as a researcher and it is a form formality, but it's also a really important thing for the user or the participant to understand, you know, what, what is the purpose of the research? How is the information going to be used? Who are you and what company do you represent? Um, what can they do if they feel uncomfortable in the interview? You know, can they leave at any time? Um, how will the data be stored? And what do they do if they want to withdraw their consent? So if they decide tomorrow or in a year's time, how do they actually get hold of the data and how, you know, how do they delete it effectively from wherever you're storing it if they choose to revoke that? So yeah, that is quite important. And so is some housekeeping, right? You know, you want to tell them um, things like where the bathrooms are and you, yeah. know, you, want to, you want to ask them, you know, would you like a drink before we get started? So those kind of things can help people feel more relaxed and to understand what you know where 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 things are and what to do. Um, you also want to let them know how long it's going to take and just go over through through some of those basics so that you've got some idea um, as to how long they might be there. Yeah, I love that. I feel like that is so important because you want them to feel comfortable 
because when you're right like when people feel comfortable they're more likely to share their truth and not try and rush through the interview or feel uncomfortable and I think sometimes even I I can be so caught up in my process and in like work mode and I've got these questions I have to get through so I think that's just a really good reminder to also think about the building rapport part and helping them feel calm and relaxed and not being like interrogating them because I think sometimes I could potentially come across that way because I'm very like I have all these questions I need answered and I'm like going one by one so that's no, you're very good I mean just just before we started recording this session you know you asked me some basic questions about how I was and what was going on and yeah. kind of like you know you got to ease into these things you know people can feel quite <laughs> anxious coming in for some research and and yeah. really want to sort of start off um, softly and then build into the more media um, questions for your conversation. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's getting the balance between being warm and natural, but also realizing that you're there to do research. So you still have to have that detective mindset at the, you know, behind the scenes and not sympathize with, with them. So, you know, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. You want to be able to hold their feeling, but not affect the way that you ask questions uh, mm -hmm. after feeling that so that you're uh, biasing or feeling too much of that emotion and, and conditioning your responses as a result so it's, yeah. a, it's a tricky one but it's practice yeah well something I've noticed that I do and I'm thinking it's I did it once and I was like I probably shouldn't have done that but I think it's really hard sometimes when they say something that you really agree with and I was like, yeah, like I was like nodding and now. I sort of had to stop myself because I'm like, I can't like, because as the interviewer, you really need to be, you have to have no biases, right? You just need to ask questions and don't agree or disagree with what they're saying. I mean, there are, there is some nuance to that. So, you know, if, if someone's recounting like quite a, I don't know, a sad story or something like that, there's nothing wrong, I don't think anyway, and some other researchers might disagree, but I don't think there's anything wrong with um, showing concern on, you know, in, in your in your emotion, like how, how you're responding to them in your body language, because um, I feel like the least, least appropriate thing to do in that response, in that situation would be just to blank slate it like yeah. a robot and it doesn't know. feel good either it doesn't feel natural to not respond <laughs> yeah but there's a difference between like showing them through your body language that you know that you understand that what they're telling you is really important yeah. and then overlaying your own opinion into the situation or injecting yourself into the interview so it, it's sort of stopping short of sort of giving your own life experience yeah. as, as part of it because you're not there for them to learn about you you're you're there for you yeah. to learn about them yeah definitely love it so i would love to know as well how do you record the information that you obtain from user interviews so do you like use a tape recorder or do you write it down because i often take notes and sometimes i find it is hard because i'm trying to like give them the attention they need as well as writing so yeah i was just wondering if you had any tips around that yeah, so we're quite fortunate at the space in between with the lab. So the room that I'm in at the moment is, is our research room and it's actually all mic'd up and all cam cameraed up so that if, if we're just down here one-on-one -on -one with a participant, people above us in the observation room are able to actually see and take notes independent of the researcher. So that's really useful because it means that we can maintain our attention on, on the interview. I mean, there's nothing worse than 
being interviewed and someone's constantly taking notes and not paying yeah, attention yeah. to you, you know, like you, you break that rapport that you've tried so hard to build and you also can lose the flow of the interview and you can miss things that are important because yeah. you cannot take notes as quickly as people can speak. Yeah. So sometimes people suggest if you don't have a setup like this and you're running it, say, at the, um, at the customer's office or wherever, wherever it is at a cafe, you might want to take someone else with you and introduce them and make sure that the person knows that they're there to take notes. Uh, you're there to ask the questions um, and, and do it that way so that you can still stay focused on that conversation. Yeah, love it. I think that is really important because you're right. If someone is writing and looking down the whole time, you can break that rapport and yeah. they might think you're not listening to what I'm saying now because you're writing down what I said earlier. So I think that's a really good point. It's definitely a lesson that I've learned. Because I thought I could do it, but then when it played out, I was like, oh, <laughs> gosh, there's so much to write. Multitasking is difficult. Yeah, I can't do it. It's too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th I think with, with that as well, it's um, if you do find yourself needing to jot down something that's really important and there's no one else to do it for you and you're not recording, don't forget that you can use non well verbal but non-spoken cues like, mm-hmm, and, you know, little cues like that or a head nod or something or just some eye brief eye contact that shows them that you're still listening so yeah, yeah. most people do that naturally anyway but it's something that you can yeah break. yeah it's usually our natural response we're not always robotic are we yeah nervous it can happen but i think if you just let yourself be natural and be yourself it comes across a lot nicer mm -hmm. yeah cool so once you've run the interview how do you bring together all of your insights and make sense of what you've what's just happened <laughs> and all the information you've yeah got. yeah there look there are a number of things that we do so if we've recorded which we almost always would do at least audio we'd put it put it through a tool called otter.ai okay. and otter is um ai-based transcription and it's fairly accurate it does create some fairly hilarious uh, misunderstandings particularly of our uh, new zealand accents from time to time <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure how it is for the, with the Australian or the American accents, but I suspect it might be a bit better. So we use that. Um, that's really cool because we put that into a, a tool um, where, which we use as a research repository called Dovetail. Um, okay. And that's actually uh, a New Zealand-Australian startup, I believe. It's a, one of the founders is a Kiwi, but it's based in Sydney, if I'm remembering correctly. It's a great tool, really useful. Um, that's kind of for like longer term storage. It lets you pull out interesting quotes and tag things with certain themes and things like that. But generally you'll be in a team situation. So what you want to do is if you've got really great notes and you're able to, um, to bring those along to a, to a sort of a workshop or a team-based setting, you can start to post it things up on the wall. Um, you know, the key moments or observations or um, answers or um, challenges that you observed in that interview. And then you can start to theme and, and group them into areas that make sense for you to then explore further. I like that. It is good to have it visually like that sometimes. Having yeah. it in there because it is hard if you're going through different crafts. It's like a document per interview. And I, yeah, I sort of like highlight and try and figure out what the themes are. But that's really nice to yeah. do it in a visual way. Yeah, so once you've, once you've done that hard work of sort of, you know, looking at on, on, on the full transcription and maybe going over your recording, then yes, I think it's important to take it, take your perspective up and yeah. sort of put, it off, put it up on a wall. I think it's easier to do that kind of 
joining of the dots when you've got a wider view of what the things are that you might be trying to join. It's more difficult if you're focused on a screen or on paper, um, you know, documents. It's definitely yeah. good to bring it up. Definitely. And what happens if you have really different perspectives? So if like half the users are saying one thing and the other half saying another thing, how do you deal with like really different opinions? Yeah, so you, I suppose with user interviews, you're not normally doing enough of them that you would get, and they're not structured in a way that you get um, statistical significance out of, out of it. But what you could do is if you've got a situation like that where there seems to be half saying they love something and half saying they hate something or, or, or whatever it may be, it's actually uh, the genesis of a, another research question because it's telling you something maybe about the way that you structured your interview or it's telling you something about your audience that you don't quite yet fully understand. So you might want to step back from that and have a, have a look at it and think about the situation. You know, what is it that we're missing here? You know, should we be asking another question that we haven't quite formed? You know, is this the basis of the next round of research that we need to conduct? Yeah. And hypothetical, that's, that's how I would look at it anyway. Yeah, okay. Is there anything else you would like to share to help people run user interviews smoothly? Because I know you would, you've done it and you would have a lot of wisdom around it. So there's probably questions I haven't asked that may help elicit more. So is there anything that comes to mind that would be really useful for me, my team and the listeners today? Well, you just use one of the, one of the um, techniques that I think oh. is useful, which is the, what, what some people call the Columbo technique, which is at the end of a conversation when you feel like you've got some closure, you ask a question like that, and then that gives the other person an opportunity to open up and share something else they may have been wanting to say. So that's a really great technique, and you just demonstrated that really well. Um, Kim and I in the past have spoken about um, a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, and he's okay. actually an FBI um, negotiator, or was. Uh, so this is kind of like, this is um, going into some pretty interesting psych psychological territory here, but these are quite common techniques he talks about too. So one of them is mirroring. So um, if, for example, someone says something interesting, like, um, you, you ask me something, actually, just say something. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you something, actually. So I'll ask you, um, what was the most difficult thing about preparing for this interview? Um, thinking of the right questions to get the information that I need. The right questions? Yeah, <laughs> I see what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, like thinking of the questions that I would ask that would help me get what I want. And I think sometimes it's really hard to draft questions in a way that it's going to get you the information that you need so that was the hardest part cool yeah so i suppose what we're illustrating there is you don't actually have to necessarily ask a follow-up question the mirror is repeating the last couple of words or three words or the important words within the response that you got back from your question and what it does is it opens up permission for the person to continue to explain so if you don't quite understand something or you want to go deeper into it, you know, you don't have to hammer with questions all the time. You can use a te technique like the mirror to get further into it, uh, into territory with someone. That's really cool. The other thing I would say is don't be afraid of silence. Mm. So we have a tendency as humans to not deal so well with silence and we step in and try and fill it. You lose the opportunity to learn things if you do that too soon 
you don't want to leave people hanging out so long that it's totally awkward, right? Like I said, it's not an actual interrogation. You are, you know, you're not there to sort of put them under under lights and make them sweat. But um, don't rush in too soon. You know, you'll you'll miss out on some stuff. Um, and I think the last thing that I would suggest is after you've run an interview, don't leave it too long before you do your analysis or your retrospective, you know, like you, you, you want to get into that while it's relatively fresh. Um, and you also want to go back over your discussion guide and you want to think about what were the questions in there that didn't fire, um, as in work well, why didn't they work well? Is it because it's a bad question or I phrased it strangely? You know, did it confuse the participant? Uh, did it get a negative reaction? So you want to have um, some reflection on how you're structuring your conversations because ideally from the first one, you learn something and you refine and then the second one you refine and you just get to a much better script at the end of it, better discussion guide. Yeah, I found that as well, definitely. I've done interviews where the first few, it's like one question where people just don't respond very well or they're confused and it just doesn't, you don't get the information that you need and it, you're right, like it's really good to keep refining as you go on. And I like that you said you don't have to have a like a strict structure of you have to ask these exact questions because if they're not working, you can, it's just about meeting your goal. I really like thinking of it in that way what goal am i trying to achieve and what do i need to ask mm. to yeah 100 percent. and what and how questions are, are your friends as well you know the okay. questions yeah keep keep as many of them as you can in your, in your discussion guide you know try not to ask too many closed questions try not to prime people's answers and there there are lots of good guides um, for this and you can see people running um you know, mock interviews that will give you a good idea if you don't know what those things are. Probably we don't have time today to go into them, but yeah, do your own research and don't don't be afraid to try new things and practice and think about what it is that you've learned. Yeah, I love it. Is there anywhere that you would like to like direct the listeners to where they could learn more about running user interviews? I know you have your um, is it Brave UX your show? I think that would be oh, really yeah. for people to watch to learn more about UX and find yeah. users need if i mean look if you're generally interested in user research and ux in particular then yeah brave ux is probably quite good they're quite broad ranging discussions less so on the practical practical aspects of how to do things um there are some really good resources the one that comes to mind immediately is the nelson norman group website so that's nng.com um and they're they're in the ux usability space not necessarily like in the um the instructional design space but they've got some great video resources a lot of them are quite short as well and they go through and explain some of the techniques that apply across the broad spectrum of human-centered design not just their specific niche um, but there are bound to be heaps of others out there as well yeah awesome well thank you so much brendan for anyone listening if you are an instructional designer human-centered design and doing UX like what Brendan does is incredible for our industry. We have found it is amazing for the training solutions that we create. And you deal with digital products, Brendan, and that's what us as instructional designers are often doing. We're creating online learning and through doing user interviews and running activities like you do, Brendan, it does make a really big impact on our process. So please take notes if you need to listen back, just listen to what Brendan's saying because he does have a lot of experience 
He's done UX stuff before and it can add value to your project. Um, so thank you so much, Brendan. Where can people find you if people would like to connect or learn more from you? Yeah, thanks, Hannah. You can find me on Twitter at Brendan Jarvis. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn on the same if you want to connect. And the Space In Between website is thespaceinbetween.co.nz. Awesome. Well, I'll put it, everyone listening, it's in the description below. So check out the links in the description below. Everything that Brendan and I have spoken about, you can access there. And thank you so much for taking the time to be here, Brendan. Great to be here, Hannah. Thanks, everyone.